0: I want to say initially that uh, the subjects that we are going to be dealing with are going to be issues that uh, are affecting our schools and our children and our homes, our society, our culture in many and various ways. I'm going to say out front, and I'm going to say it again in the message, I believe in every word of the Bible, I believe, from Je- I believe Genesis to Revelation, from the first verse to the very last verse, where it ends with the word "Amen." Every word of the Bible. But it is the Bible that is being attacked today, and one of the major weapons that is being used for that is the theory of evolution. And so, there are going to be questions that you're going to have, uh, based upon what you will hear today. I'm going to ask you to be patient with me. I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully. I'm going to ask you to uh, reserve your questions, either for after uh, the service today, and don't make it long and arduous questions. But uh, things that could be answered very quickly. If not, call me during the week. If certain things may tend to uh, uh, cause some questions to arise about these subjects. But I'm willing to take the stand that God has given me to take for the truth. And uh, yet at the same time, I hope that you understand a lot of research has been done to present this first introduction into the book of Genesis today. So, with all that in mind, be in prayer, ask God to give you the wisdom. As a matter of fact, let's do that now. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to begin this new series of studies in a new book, and especially in this first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We're immediately, straightforwardly Powerfully and authoritatively, it states that you created the heavens and the earth. And we thank you, Lord God, that we can stand upon your truth always and without question. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us wisdom and understanding according to your word. May that, Lord God, be what we receive from you today, wisdom and understanding through your spirit. Help us, Lord God, to be attentive. Help us to listen carefully. Help us, O God, to know that we as believers in Jesus Christ can stand faithfully upon every word that you have given us in the Scriptures. For this we are thankful. We pray in thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Genesis 1, verse 1 says... In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Can you say that with me? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, how many of you
1: can recognize and identify this very famous
0: phrase? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Recognize it, anybody? You see, I know that most of you would recognize this as the opening banner for the beginning of the movie Star Wars. For most people, what comes to mind is a multi-million dollar blockbuster movie series made over three decades and considered the standard for the advancement of visual and graphic technology and film. But when I consider that statement in light of the series of studies that we'll be doing in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, these words remind me of three things. First of all, they remind me of fantastical bedtime stories and fairy tales. Secondly, they remind me Of science fiction and most importantly they remind me of the theory of evolution you look shocked well now that I have your attention let me say unequivocally as I've said already that I believe every word in the Holy Scriptures I believe every word given to us by God as His revelation to us of Himself, His purposes and plans for all that He created from the beginning of time itself until our reentry into His time continuum of eternity. And I say all this knowing that the current world of atheistic, humanistic, evolutionist, scientists and their like would immediately label me and anyone else who believes what I've just described of God's Word as ignorant or illiterate or unscientific, non-intellectual, stupid, idiotic, foolish, and I'm sure a few things which I cannot say here today. But I know that I'm not alone. In believing the Bible to be God's holy and inerrant word. Folks, you can respond at any time just to make me feel good. Okay. I know that I'm not alone in believing the Bible to be God's holy and inerrant word. There are true scientists true scientists living in the world today who believe not only in the Bible as the Word of God but are not afraid to say that they trust the Genesis account of creation right down to everything on earth being created in six normal days of time. And in a moment, a little while, I'll be mentioning some quotes from some of these scientists. I've entitled this introductory study in the book of Genesis as The Battle for Truth Begins. Well, I think it's appropriate if the first three words of the Bible are in the beginning, that we realize that this is when the battle for truth begins. Because chapter 1 in particular, and the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis generally, are the most attacked chapters in the Bible. Not only by the skeptics and the critics of the scriptures and of Christianity, but also by liberal theologians who question the validity and the inerrancy of the Scriptures and have, in so many words, called these chapters legend and myth. I believe there is a uh, study Bible that is based upon the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, And uh, in this particular study Bible that has to do with uh, people's uh, mental and spiritual health, as it were, The uh, editors of this particular Bible, in the first 11 chapters, or actually the first page of the book of Genesis, in their study notes, actually call, and remember, this is a study Bible, actually call the first 11 chapters of Genesis myth. I, I don't encourage you to buy that study Bible, because if that's the way it starts, then what can you believe of the Bible? There are also those professing Christians who struggle with a literal Genesis account or the literal, literal Genesis creation account and would rather believe in what is called theistic evolution. Theistic having to do with, you know, God, you know, theocracy, theology. It's about God. Theistic evolution, which is the belief that God created the world by means of, of the evolutionary process over millions or billions of years we'll deal with that particular issue next week but as we begin to study the book of Genesis we will see that the first chapter is one of the most God-centered chapters in the entire Bible we will see that God is mentioned 32 times in 31 verses and when you add the use of personal pronouns then he's mentioned no less than 43 times and in the very first page of scripture The Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God and He keeps us there. He brings us into the presence of God and there He keeps us. When we read these words carefully and when we read them reverently, we will see why Satan hates this chapter so much that he has aimed his most heavy artillery at it to discredit it. In the minds of men. If we abandon the first chapter of the Bible and consider it to be non factual and unreliable, if we consider it to be mere mythology or doctored up uh, or a doctored up copy of the babylonian creation epic which many people say well you know genesis is really just a copy of of this uh, epic called the enuma elish which is the babylonian creation epic if we consider the genesis account of creation to be totally unacceptable to modern science then satan has won John Phillips, in his great devotional commentary exploring Genesis, writes this. He says, if the Holy Spirit cannot be trusted when he tells of creation, how can he be trusted when he tells of salvation? If what he says of the earth in Genesis 1 can be questioned, then what he says about heaven in Revelation 22 can be questioned. If the Holy Spirit cannot be trusted in Genesis 1... How can he be trusted? in John 3:16. You see, Genesis is under attack from those outside of the church and also from many within. The conflict between God's special creation and the theory of evolution is not just a matter of theological importance. The whole basis of society as we know it hangs in the balance. If God's special creation is true, then it is the foundation upon which society is to be built. If God's special creation is true, then there are absolute truths about which God speaks with absolute authority. If, on the other hand, some form of evolution is adopted as true, then it becomes the foundation upon which society, uh, human society, will be built. And there can be no absolute truths, and only man in the majority can speak with authority. But the truth of the matter is that society has rejected God's special creation and replaced it with something called the theory of evolution, and I'm going to continue to emphasize that it's just a theory... I'm going to be bold enough to tell you now that it's not real science. No matter what uh, school districts say who try to keep intelligent design and creation out of the schools, there's more science in those than there is in the theory of evolution. You'll see why in just a moment. But the truth of the matter is, as society has rejected God's special creation and replaced it with the theory of evolution, then building upon that foundation has produced devastating effects on this world. Consider the fact that there is tremendous lawlessness in the world today. Because people have begun to remove the moral base in society. So the devastating effects are lawlessness... Homosexuality, pornography, abortion on demand. These are just some of the inevitable byproducts. There's many more. Is it any wonder that the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 11 verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what we're dealing with as we come to the book of Genesis this morning is that we need to consider, and we, we, we've kind of brought this down to two main worldviews that are in conflict today. Two major worldviews in conflict today. There is, and, and there are many worldviews, of course, and a, a worldview is really just uh, how a person views a world based upon uh, his own foundation, but there are two major worldviews in conflict today. The first one we call the humanistic, or the humanist worldview. And the other that is in conflict with it is the creationist worldview. Now, the way you view the world determines how you will answer the four great questions of life that every religion tries to answer. Now, consider that. Look at the first question. Who am I and what am I worth? Who am I and what am I worth? The second question is, where did I come from? The third is, why am I here? The fourth great question of life that every religion tries to answer is, where am I going when I die? And so how a person answers these questions is based on their worldview. Take the humanist view, for example. The humanist worldview, a humanist is one who who does not uh, believe in a personal God who does not believe that there is a God or some kind of a creator or designer that created things, uh, they actually believe in, in what is called the Big Bang. Primarily and ba- very basically, their, thi- their philosophy and view of life is this, man is God and answers to no one. When it comes right down to it, that is the humanist worldview. Man is God, and answers to no one. In contrast to that is the creationist worldview. A creationist would be one who has looked at a design in all that he has observed, in all that he has seen in the world, in all that he has seen in the universe, And he says this particular design demands a designer. And because I have looked at what is called the Word of God, I believe that there is a God and that He is the designer of all and therefore believes that God created the world as He says in His Word. So the creationist worldview is God is God and will eventually judge all men. Because God is above all His creation. Now, according to the humanist worldview, in answer to the question, who am I and what am I worth, what it boils down to in in, in their answers, it would be something to this effect. Who am I and what am I worth? You're nothing or no one important. You're just a bunch of protoplasm that is washed up on the beach and not worth really anything. I remember years ago in school, they used to tell us that if the, if you boiled down everything that we are, all the chemicals and, all, and the water and then everything that we in the human body is, if you just kind of shrunk it down and separated it out and, and all the chemicals that we have in our body, we'd be worth about $1. sixty-nine. Well, that's at least worth something. But who am I? Well, nothing important. Where did I come from? They can't really get together on how the Big Bang happened. So many theories out there about it. But you know, the idea is that that's what they believe. Therefore, where did you come from? You came from a cosmic burp. Why am I here? No purpose in life. I'm not stating this as if I'm making this up. If you read the book The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins who is an avowed atheist and hater of God and Christ and Christianity and considers that anybody who is a Christian is an idiot, even though he has no real good formal philosophic education, doesn't know how to argue himself out of a paper sack, forgive me Lord, well then you got to read what he says. But he is one who will tell you. As a matter of fact, if you have seen the movie Expelled with Ben Stein, if you haven't seen it, see it. If you don't have it, buy it. If you need to, rent it. But you need to see it a few times. Because he interviews Richard Dawkins, and he says in so many words, that as far as he's concerned, you man really has no purpose in life. You have to hold that particular view if you believe that we came from some big bang and had no design whatsoever in all of the universe. No purpose in life. So what has, the, what has been the uh, adopted philo- philosophy of people today? The relativistic philosophy of what? If it feels good, do it. So if we don't have any real purpose in life, then we might as well have all the fun that we can. Have it now, because before you know it, we're going to die. And then all that protoplasm turns into ash. Eventually. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but to answer the last question, where am I going when I die? Well, evidently you're going to go to the grave to be recycled into some kind of a creepy crawly or maybe even a plant. But that is answering the question based upon the humanistic worldview. How does a a creationist answer the question? Who am I? I'm a person made in the image of God according to God's Word. I have purpose. I have meaning. Where did I come from? God knew me before I was even born. Before I was even in my mother's womb, God God knew me. Why am I here? God has given me life, meaning, intellect, purpose, and a plan. And if I'll listen to Him and believe Him and trust Him, I will know what that plan is, and I will, by His grace and by His leading, do that which honors Him. And where am I going when I die? Because I have received the love of Christ and because I have received the truth of the love of Christ and because I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that He rose again from the dead, then I know that when I die, I will be in the presence of God forever. I think I like those answers better. So what does our text say? If you were only to look at the humanistic answers to the questions... The four great questions of life. What does our text say? first five words. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. And if these five words are true and accurate, then we better get to know who God is. If these words are true and accurate, we better get to know who God is and find out what He wants and then do what He says because He's the one who created this place anyway. And not only that, but He makes the rules too. If they're true, then that's what we need to do. And because of the, the way we answer that question based upon our belief in God and that being our worldview. And that's what we have done when we've come to the realization that God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins and to save us from death. But why then is this so hard to believe in today's society? Christians seem to be at a disadvantage when they compare God's special creation with the theory of evolution. Now, people have been taught that to have faith in God's special creation is to somehow abandon the facts of science. But it is not an issue of the facts of science versus the faith of Christians. Both God's special creation and the theory of evolution are faith belief systems about the past which interpret the same facts existing in the present. I know most of you went to school, in public schools, and even if you went to a private school, which is okay. I taught in both public and private school. So I know that we learned in some way and at some time that there is a scientific method of testing things. So it's important, first of all, to realize, yes, we believe what we believe by faith. We trust the first five words of the book of Genesis To know that we can trust all the rest of the words. And we trust it by faith. Because none of us were there to observe when God spoke everything into existence. Likewise, no one was there when they say, well, you know, the Big Bang happened at first 4.5 billion years ago, and then, no, we've got to take it further back, maybe 20 billion years ago, oh, maybe 30 billion years ago. Nobody was there. you got to believe that by faith. So with that in mind, it is important to realize this from the outset. We cannot test the past using the scientific method. The scientific method, as I said, you might uh, recall from school, involves repeating things and watching what happens. Repeating things, watching what happens. Why? Because science is about observable evidence. No scientist in the world today, creationist or evolutionist, was present when the world came into existence, nor do any have the privilege of watching worlds being created today. We readily admit that God's special creation cannot be proved... In that sense, but neither can the natural selection processes of the theory of evolution. They cannot be proved in that method. But our stand in a special supernatural creation by God is once again based on our trust in God's word. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. I love that phrase. They were framed by the Word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I've placed also the New King James Version of that verse. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But then again, It takes a lot more faith to believe that the world evolved from a big bang that occurred 20 to 30 billion years ago. It takes much more faith to believe that. A big bang where nothing exploded and out of that nothing explosion something came out of it because they don't know how that explosion actually happened they think well possibly some molecules that were just kind of floating out there were just you know uh, heading toward each other and then all of a sudden they clashed and, and, and then all of a sudden boom something happened can't explain it but then out of that a single cell came out and out of that nothing and here we are what does that remind you of? a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No wonder Norman Geisler and Frank Turek wrote a book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a great book, by the way. Our study of the book of Genesis will, will bring us very soon to the crux of the dilemma in our day and time which began in ages past. The fact that the devil always wants to raise doubts about God's Word. And yes, I believe that there is a devil, because God said so. As a matter of fact, turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is very fundamental for our understanding of our introduction today. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, And he said unto the woman, Now notice that question is underlined, or that statement is underlined. Yea, hath God said? In other words, did God really say that? Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And and the serpent said unto the woman, second phrase, second term, You shall not surely die. And then he goes on to say, For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, Then your eyes shall be opened and and you shall be as God's. Third phrase Knowing good and evil. Three things. Yea, hath God said, doubt? You shall not surely die. You know what he says there? God's a liar. God's a liar won't die so denial doubt denial you shall be as gods the deification the making of gods from man the deification of man man becomes God doubt denial Deification of man. So what does the serpent plant into the minds and hearts of men even today? First of all, to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? Yea, hath God said. The serpent plants into the minds and the hearts of men to deny God's word. You shall not surely die. God lied to you. Thirdly, he plans into the minds and hearts of men that man can be a God to deify God, or to deify man, I should say. You shall be as gods. Sad that some religions have adopted that, like Mormonism, and the New Age religions of today. They've adopted that uh, idea. You shall be as gods. Certain teachers in the prosperity movement, many of the teachers of the prosperity movement, the, faith, uh, the word of faith teachers will teach that you can be gods and that you should be gods. But my Bible tells me that there's only one God. And he's above all his creation. We are his children. But he is God. But this is where the religion of evolution began, right there in chapter 3, because what the humanist, the naturalist, or the evolution of the uh, uh, humanist says today is that we are evolving into becoming our own gods. Look where we have come from, from the muck and the mire of, of the age of the dinosaurs, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. By the way, we'll talk about dinosaurs later. Single-cell amoeba turning into one kind of an animal, turning into another kind of an animal, turning into this, turning into that, and eventually we became the ape, and then out of the ape, you know, we kind of evolved from somebody, you know, slumping over with their knuckles on the ground until we kind of got to where we are today, And we're evolving. Just look at Star Wars and Star Trek and all of those things. You know, those societies, oh, you know, we far advanced, you see. We're evolving into what? Into our own gods. So do you remember when I mentioned earlier the fantastical bedtime stories and the fairy tales and the science fiction stories that begin a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Well, these fairy tales and stories are being presented today to millions of children of all ages and grades in public schools as a fact. They are teaching these things in our schools as a fact. Look carefully at the textbooks Even in first, second, and third grades. In the general science textbook, Teacher's Edition, published by Holt, the teachers are taught. It's the teacher's edition as to how to teach second grade science. The teachers are taught to stress to their students. Notice, they're told to stress to their students that the earth is at least 4.5 billion years old. Some textbooks published a few years later moved the day to about 20 billion years. See, the further away you get in time, we can evolve. We have to evolve more. We need time to do it. When God created the heavens and the earth, He just spoke it into existence. And everything was made. I can believe that. Some of these uh, evolution scientists have gone so far as to say that since they can't come up with a good explanation as to how life began on this earth, Dawkins being one of them, it had to have come from somewhere else, probably another planet. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, In the Humanist Manifesto Number 1, which was published in 1933, their first tenet says and states this, Humanists regard the universe, and, and it is capitalized universe, humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. End quote. It's interesting that the humanist calls it the universe. We've grown up in science classes knowing that there is a universe that came out of who knows where. And it's massive, it's huge, but it's a universe. That's where our mind goes, oh, you know. Well, it's interesting that the humanist calls it the universe, capital U. Because the word universe is made up of two Latin words. Uni, or uni, which means single. And the word verse, or verso, which means literally spoken sentence. And so, we live in a single spoken sentence. Isn't that interesting? The humanists say we do. We live in a single spoken sentence. You know what the sentence is? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Isn't that marvelous? They don't even know what they're saying. In the beginning, God created with one single spoken sentence. Verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The Hebrew is much more succinct. Light be, light was. One single spoken sentence. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And there it is. In all of its bare power. The opening statement of scripture. No attempt was made to water it down. No attempt to apologize to a skeptical age. And no attempt to prove that God is the Holy Spirit simply deems certain truths to be self-evident. And the first and foremost truth is that God is in the beginning God. I stated not too long ago, as uh, we were preparing to come to this day, uh, that uh, as we begin this particular study, that the first four verse or the first four words of this uh, of this first verse. In the beginning, God. If we believe these four verses or four words, we can believe every word in the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is. And in this one awe-inspiring and moving statement... The Holy Spirit pushes aside atheism by asserting and emphasizing His existence. He sweeps aside polytheism, which is the belief in many gods, by declaring Himself to be one God. And He brushes off pantheism, which says that God is in all matter, by separating Himself from matter. God created. He is above His creation. Not as if He is in the plants and in the birds and in the trees and in... UMEs. in fact the whole of the Bible contains no hint of any evolutionary development from the simple to complex life forms by blind random chance that again is evolutionary blind random chance things just happened we don't know how or when or why but it just happened at least the Bible says why when and where, the where the, you know the when is, is when God spoke it The where is everything, and the who is him. But the Bible contains no hint of any evolutionary development from the simple to complex life forms by blind, random chance. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalm 19, David himself, says in verses 1 through 6, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle." For the sun, which is as a bridegroom cometh out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race, his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. God knows how to create. And everything that He created speaks and utters the glory of God. Have you ever thought about why the stars are always in the same place at all of the seasons? Right now we're in winter, so the, one of the most prominent uh, uh, constellations in the sky is Orion, and you see him in the southern sky. And if you track him throughout all, uh, if you track that, that constellation throughout all of the, uh, the late fall and, and winter uh, onto spring, you see him just kind of moving. And, and he moves, and he's in the, summer, in the winter sky, and he's in various positions, and then eventually as it becomes spring and turns into summer, all the Orion goes to sleep for a while all of a sudden then the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper are there and the North Star's there always in the same place always where it was set by God and there they are and you can see them so clearly in the summer sky and so on and so forth until the next season comes and then it just goes on and on again why are they there? why are those stars where they are? because God put them there for us to see the glory of God the glory of His creation Paul picks up on this in Romans 1.20 when he says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world. Paul believed in Genesis chapter 1. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen and being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Man is without excuse in knowing there's a God by the things that are made. People call themselves atheists because they don't want to believe in God. But God knows better because He knows every heart. Listen, atheists will say there is no God, but when things happen, they blame God. I mentioned uh, I mentioned a, a story uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, uh, actually, was written in Peru, I think. But uh, anyway, it was... Uh, a story of a man who, who uh, loved a woman for 50 years but never had an opportunity to, to know her and just, just knew her from a distance and all. But, you know, eventually as in their old age they got to meet and, and, and uh, the, the woman was a, was a Sunday school teacher and she asked him, asked him one day, she said, do you believe in God? And the man said, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of Him. Folks, what does that say? It confirms what the scripture says. Man is without excuse. The only reason why men want to be atheists is because they don't want to believe that there's a God who has laws that we need to follow that will honor him and bless others. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9 say, Let the earth, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake and it was done. You see. He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 148, verses 1 through 6. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Notice, he commanded. And they were created. That's all God needs to do. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which shall not pass. And literally it means he shall not pass away. The decree of God shall not ever pass away. Another great question to be answered. As we go through the book of Genesis. Genesis. Another great question to be answered is the central question of Christianity, as well as history itself. The question is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, it would be well for us to declare that the scriptures are very, very clear. That Jesus Christ is the Creator. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus Christ is the Creator. John chapter 1 verse 1 is another verse that begins with those three words in the beginning. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, notice... And without Him was not anything made that was made. When you jump down to verse 14, we get to know who the Logos is. And the Word, the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is eternal. Not created, as some people say He is. He was the Creator. And Paul confirms that in, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, when he writes about Jesus, "...for by Him were all things created." That are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him and He is before all things. And by Him all things consist, which means all things are held together. Each and every one of you should be thankful that those chairs are held together. All things are held together. I'm glad this stage is held together. I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't. Because if you take one molecule or one atom out of that chair where you're sitting and let it just spin wildly and randomly away from that chair, you'd be sitting on the carpet. All things are held together by Jesus Christ. Jesus? Yes. Which Jesus? The Jesus that came to this earth, took upon Himself flesh, a historic person. History records that He was here. And He went to the cross and He died on the cross for the sins of men and He shed His blood for the forgiveness of men's sins upon those who would believe that this was what He came to do. Three days later, He rose from the dead to show His power over sin and death for us who believe. That same Jesus is the Jesus that created the heavens and the earth. Oh, I want to close with a quote. I told you I wanted to quote some scientists who believe in the six-day creation. Here's a scientist who holds a PhD from the University of Sydney, has other degrees from the University of New Zealand in horticultural science. Her name is Dr. Angela Meyer. And this is what she says, and I quote, and I believe it will be up here. There are several reasons I believe in the biblical account... Of creation. Firstly I believe the Bible to be the Word of God, accurate and truthful in all that it says. It has been tested and found to be true in history, archaeology, and fulfilled prophecy. As we continue to test it in areas of science, I believe we will find it to be true there also. I believe we can accept the Bible's authority in the account of the origin of life. Secondly, I believe the Bible or the biblical account of creation because it is the best explanation for the complexity of life. I have never seen any evidence for evolution. All that I see around me in nature points to a divine designer. illiterate unscientific four or five degrees and yet she believes God she says much more but suffice it to say that not all scientists have bought into the theory of evolution another creation scientist his name is Jeremy L. Walter he has a PhD and and actually all of his degrees are from Penn State University if you're a Nittany Lion fan, you know where that is. But he has his Ph.D. in mechanical engineering. And he teaches uh, subjects under the mechanical engineering uh, label there at Penn State. Well, he addresses the views of the 1962 Nobel Prize winner, an evolutionist named Francis Crick. Quoting him from his book, Life Itself, Its Origin and Nature, so this is an evolutionist. But listen to what he says. He has concluded that, and I quote, the earth was not old enough at 4.5 billion years to have had life gradually evolve completely on this planet. Instead of turning to the great first cause of the Bible, Walter says, the creationist, uh, Crick preferred something that is called the directed panspermia concept, which placed the origin of life long, long ago and far away. Not my words, his. Who placed the origin of life long, long ago and far, far away on some planet in some other galaxy. Now, in the book Life Itself, which is written by this evolutionist, a Nobel Prize winner, in this theory, intelligent life has successfully evolved On this planet, not this planet, but that planet, even though such an outcome was too difficult to achieve on this planet, Earth, uh, this foreign civilization sent the seeds of life in the form of DNA replicators into the universe aboard sophisticated rocket ships looking for a good place to restart the evolutionary process, and uh, uh, one such rocket ship apparently found Earth And here we are. Do you see how evolution depends upon uh, a sufficient amount of time and even distance? What does that tell you? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Fairy tale science fiction evolution I don't have enough faith to be an atheist I can trust in this in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth can you We let the evolutionists speak for themselves. And it's a wonder that people, educators, school districts have said this is what we teach. Teach your children. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they will not be without a foundation, as much of the world is today, because they believe a lie. Shall we pray?